to the Weird Warriors podcast. I am Max. I am Rich. And on this podcast, we will be focusing on the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. On this episode, we'll be taking a look at Weird War Tales number 22. And before we get going with the issue, Rich is going to fill you all in with an Intel report. Aerosmith, written by Kurt Busiek. Uh, penciled by Carlos Pacheco and published by DC Wildstorm Comics. It's 1915 and World War I is ravaging Europe. Only in this realm, it's being fought with and by dragons, spells, vampires, and other kinds of magical weapons and beings. Fletcher Aerosmith joins the war effort on the side of the Allies, gets taught the rudiments of sorcery, and engages in brutal battles with the enemy Prussians. The original six-issue mini came out in 2003 and is currently available in trade paperback format under the title So Smart in Their Fine Uniform. A deluxe hardcover is coming out in April 2022. I originally had a different title selected for this episode, but upon discovering yesterday that a brand new miniseries of Aerosmith behind enemy lines by the same creative team and publisher has started coming out, I had to spread the word. Go get it, people. Yeah, and Aerosmith <clears throat> is one where I certainly heard about it back in the day. I never got around to picking it up. So I'm psyched that with this new deal that Busick has signed, I think it's with Image. I don't think it's with DC anymore. It's Image. Yeah, so I- I'm finally going to be able to jump in on the ground floor with a remastered, unchopped apart, unedited, you know, or re-edited by Busick version of this series. Because that's one I always wish I had read. And now I have a great... Uh, chance jumping on jumping on yeah exactly i have a great chance to actually not miss out this time around and read the continuation at like the same time so that's cool so before we uh jump into the issue at hand we're gonna take a small podcast promo break and then we'll be back Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of theme shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And we are back. So, like I said, it's going to be Weird War Tales number 22 this time around. And as is SOP here on the show, Rich is going to hit you with the cover detail. Art by who else? Luis Dominguez. Weird War Tales is in yellow, which is a great match to the orange sky and background on the cover. A group of American soldiers are charging towards the reader, surrounded by explosions and bullet ground strikes. An opened-mouth skull lurks in the sky behind them. The leading soldier has taken a direct hit to the chest, knocking his helmet off. But he's still smiling, exclaiming, I can't be stopped! Nothing can kill me now! 
behind the soldier, someone is laughing. Ha 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 ha. Cover date release February 1974. Data release November 27th, 1973. No Killjoy. Comments and commendations. I love the orange and yellow color mixing on the cover, but there's something about the way the clouds are boiling up alongside the laughing skull that makes it look like Bozo the Clown. The leading soldier looks like he's having the time of his life, which is a bit off-putting, all things considered. I'm not sure if it's the skull or the soldier that's laughing. Yeah, for me, great cover, excellent use of color, as you as you mentioned. The uh, great big old word balloon not only makes me happy, but provides some needed context to the image at hand, like you said. With, without that dialogue, I wouldn't know what to make of this guy. But with everything present here, this one jumps right out and grabs you. And it would have at least inspired, I would think, pretty much any kid to pick it up to see what the heck was up with this guy. So I dug it. All right. So uh, with the cover out of the way, Rich is going to bring us in to the first story in the issue. Wings of Death. Seven pages. Script by Jack Olek. Art by George Evans. Yes, I love you, my George Evans. Synopsis. Baron Henri de Seville vows vengeance on the Germans after their bombs destroy his chateau and village. He later broods in the ruins of his home, trying to think of some way to end this accursed war. There is one. Bats! He goes to the closest American unit to volunteer his services to the Allied cause and is told the commander is across the street in the church. But a German fighter has been making strafing passes. He'll never make it. Disseville walks across the street as if the flying bullets were nothing more than raindrops. The company commander thinks the idea of using bats to end the war is nuts, but suggests seeing Colonel Chalmers and Billy. Disseville does explaining his idea of attaching a tiny firebomb and timer to each bat and dropping them from the sky over Germany. The bats would roost in towers, steeples, and barns throughout the region and cause massive fires. The colonel isn't a believer, but a passing brigadier general likes the idea and authorizes it. Thousands of bats are collected for Operation Hellfire, placed in capsules that are dropped from B-17s over Germany. The capsules open and the bats fly off to seek shelter. Towns are engulfed in flames when the timers run out. The Germans are puzzled. It must be sabotage. The American planes didn't drop any bombs. The operation continues until the end of the war. Did it help? Who knows? But a general pays the Baron a visit at his shattered chateau and awards him a decoration from the American government for his contribution to the war effort. After a celebratory brandy, the Americans leave. The Baron overhears, overhears one of them wonder how Disseville knew so much about bats. Waving goodbye to the departing car, he muses, why shouldn't I know about bats? Who would know better? Disseville is a vampire. Dun, 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 dun. Killjoy and History Minute all in one. Project X-Ray was an experimental bomb casing filled with over 1,000 compartments with a hibernating Mexican free-tailed bat inside. A small, timed incendiary device was attached by an adhesive to the bat's chest. This is real, folks. Dropped from a bomber at dawn, the casing would deploy a parachute at 1,000 feet and open to release the bats, which would then roost in the largely inaccessible eaves and attics of buildings in a 20 to 40-mile radius. The resulting fires would ravage the largely wooden paper buildings in Japanese cities, their planned targets. The plan was approved by FDR himself in 1942. The morality and ecological consequences of sacrificing a few million bats didn't occur to anyone. 
early tests were highly encouraging despite an accidental release of bats that incinerated an army test range in New Mexico. The project was canceled by Fleet Admiral Ernest King in mid-1944 when he learned it wouldn't be ready for another year, also in part due to the ongoing Manhattan Project. Killjoy, another vampire walking around in daylight. Also, the glasses and hairstyle of Disseville has this 1970s feel to them as compared to the 1940s. Yeah, my comments and commendations. So I didn't have the historical context to hang on to. So I couldn't get through this story fast enough. Uh, the plot was utterly predictable, clunky in its execution, and the art was stiff and boring to me. A story about a vampire bombing the Nazis with explosive bats should have been a lot more exciting than this turned out to be. I suppose the opening splash panel with all the bombers in flight and the skeletal host floating head was pretty well done, though. I'll, I'll say it's no shock to find out that the humane or ecological ethics of the bat plan escaped people in real life as easily as as it did in the characters in this story, though. Again, your history minute was orders of magnitude more fascinating and crazy than this story, <laughs> even with the inclusion of a vampire at the end. So my my comment here is next. That's what it's like. I had an idea where they were going to go with this at the very first panel with bats flying directly out of the B-17 bomb base, which was wrong even at the even in the telling of the story later. George Evans has solid street cred whenever aviation is involved, having done some great World War I stories in earlier episodes. B-17s, B-26s, etc. They're all identifiable. I love the entirety of page five when the bombs are dropped, the bats are deployed, and the fires start. When you've been studying history as long as I have, you remember the odd stuff when it pops up in these pages, flying blind bayonet trench and now the bat bomb i can't wait to see what else shows up as we go forward in this series that's based on true stories and just one other thing really quick we were talking about bats being used as weapons something else that i just had to throw out there really quick is um the russians had to, had a, a play on this for a while of uh trying to use dogs as anti-tank weapons they would uh, put essentially a mine on the back of a dog, but a German shepherd-sized dog, and they would run out and dive underneath German tanks to destroy them. Well, this had a multitude of problems attached to it. Is, is first of all, is that they trained on Russian tanks, so when the bullets started flying and they got released and everything else, dogs got scared and they went running under Russian tanks. So, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. But for the ones that did start running out towards German tanks, the Germans figured that shit out real quick and pretty much just started shooting every dog that they saw, you know, as the war went on. Needless to say, even for Russia, that plane didn't get any legs and they abandoned that one pretty fast. I am like very angry at the Russians now, like more so than usual. Well, <laughs> like, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, that's dogs, man. That's not cool. <laughs> well, if um, Garth Ennis, I think last year, did a graphic novel called uh, Sarah. It's about uh, female Russian snipers. And they have a couple of panels in the story of these anti-tank Russian dogs, you know, charging out towards German tanks. And <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's from, he did that with TKO Studios, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It was just yeah. in the last year, year or two, yeah. Yeah, I picked up the fearsome Dr. Fang or whatever from them. They were doing that sale where, like, you could buy the stuff and you, they'd send some of the money to a comic shop of your choosing during the pandemic. So I picked up one and sent it to the Outer Limits in Waltham, Massachusetts. But um, that's insane. 
That's completely insane. I think eventually we could just, when we run out of Weird War Tales issues, we could convert this whole show over to Rich just tells you crazy stuff that actually happened in wartime. <laughs> well, one of the books that I got for my birthday is called um, Weird War One. It's all the goofy stuff that happened during World War One. And yes, before you ask, there is a Weird War Two. <laughs> no, I haven't gotten that one yet. <laughs> we are set uh, as long as we always have time to to hook up and do this every now and then. And you know, no one drops a bat bomb on one of us. Uh, you got material until like there's no more electricity going on, you know. So so we're good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's staying in. That's staying in. So that story aside, I'm going to take the hit here and do the next so-called story. It's a page and a half long. It's called The Day After Doomsday. And if only it lived up to how cool that title sounds. We got a script by Len Wein, art by Jack Sparling. It is reprinted from The Witching Hour number 9 from June 1970, uh, which shocks me because that's supposed to be a good series. And I'm, I'm going to be talking about that with Billy D next week. Anyway, uh, the synopsis, such as it is for this story, is as follows. A lone soldier wanders through the ruins of a city searching for food, shelter, and companionship. After a few days, he discovers a survivor, only to realize that survivor is an enemy soldier. They charge toward each other and spring for each other's throats. Two pistols speak as one, and the city was at peace again. Days later, the last man on Earth discovers the scene. He's curious about what could have been so important that they killed each other over it. And the last panel reads... The last man on earth had lived too long in the ruins to remember such things as patriotism and honor. He only remembered the hunger and the loneliness, and those too would soon be gone. He rose to his feet and quietly walked away. And he says, funny, I wonder if we won. And that's the end of this page and a half story here. <laughs> I gotta say, the dude looks ridiculous in his tight jeans and no shirt walking away, like, like, I, I, it's, it's just, the 70s, man. It's, it's so bad. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we have no killjoy for that, but uh, I'm going to let Rich start off the CNC for this one. Such as it is. Uh, page two, panel two. One hand of each of the dead soldiers is pointing at the other one in almost an accusatory gesture, which is a great touch. That's it. Yeah, my my uh, my CNC in the script here starts off with the phrase waste of space. <laughs> Last panel was indeed the best, but mostly because it came at the end. Ha 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 yuck yuck yuck. I usually love Len Wein's work, but this was just a space filler hack job. And uh, speaking of filling some space, we have right below the end of this story, a half page APO Weird War Tales the smallest letters page in the series to date. So we, we call it a half page if you include the header, because if you don't include the header, it's probably about a third of the page. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, this includes the full-size logo and everything. So um, I'm going to read a letter from uh, Chuck Graham of San Diego, California, which goes a little something like this. Dear Joe, Weird War Tales has greatly improved, to say the least. Since you took over the editorship with number eight, not only has the reprint material been eliminated completely, the stories have been broadened considerably in scope, covering the whole history of warfare from ancient times to the present, and even going into the future. The book-length features of 11 and 14, 
particularly the former, were excellent, and I was pleased to see some stories from areas that had formerly been neglected. The Far East, in issue 13, and the Crusades, in issue 15. The use of death and different disguises as a host for each story really unifies each issue and brings out the central theme of each. Folly of war, weird or otherwise. Art, too, has been great, but one suggestion. Let's see more of Alex Nino. His art is sometimes so far out that it borders on surrealism, which was just right for The Conquerors of Issue 16. Some story suggestions. How about a tale out of pre-Columbian America or the Spanish Conquest? We've yet to see any stories involving the colonial wars of the late 19th century. Finally, what about some stories not involving the Earth or human beings at all? Stories set on alien planets involving wars between alien cultures. That would add just the right touch of sci-fi to the magazine. And there's no editorial response, so I'll let Rich hit you with his choice of letter. Yeah, well, remember, we just did that one about the, the voodoo. So that was France and the Caribbean and stuff like that. So that could probably meet his requirement for a colonial war, but whatever. So yeah, my letter, the other letter is from Dwayne Wills from Weldon, Illinois. Dear Joe, you have stories about the Middle Ages, World War I and II, and the future. Why don't you have some of your writers write stories set in between 1600 and 1900? Just talked about this. Just here in America, there were a few interesting wars that could provide backgrounds. The Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the French and Indian War, etc. One other question. Why don't you put out a 100-page super spectacular weird war tales? And Joe responds, as far as a super spectacular weird war tales is concerned, have pity. Joe Kubert used up most of the appropriate reprint material when he was editing this mag, and it's too early to reprint any of the new material he did for the comic. So I don't think the time is quite ripe. Besides, if I had to put out any more pages of material, I think the quality might suffer. A tiny letters page, but you know, Pretty decent. Letters, and uh, no. yeah, yeah, not bad letters for once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to let Rich talk a lot this episode. Um, believe me, guys, I, I have a cold all winter. So the amount of sniffing I have to take out on my part is pretty epic. <laughs> and so um, we're going to let Rich take you into the final full story in the issue. And it's a lot better than what we just covered. Last Rights for the Living. 12 pages, script by Arnold Drake, art by Tony D. Tony D's Niga. It's the cover story. August 17th, 1944, southern France. An American patrol stumbles on a German platoon harassing a group of gypsies. There's that word. Despite the fact the Germans outnumber them three to one and that their orders are to gather intel and avoid contact with the enemy, Second Lieutenant Matthew Kogan directs his men to spread out and wait for his signal. His men are unhappy. Kogan is a glory hound, always looking for a medal and a fast promotion. The ambush is a success, and the Germans flee, but not before inflicting several casualties on the Americans. One of the elders thanks Kogan, although questioning his motives. The elder gifts Kogan an ancient talisman. If you hold it up to the full moon, it will reveal when you will die. Wear it, and it will protect you until your moment of destiny. But the talisman is not to be toyed with. Live recklessly, and it will betray you. Kogan accepts it, still not believing the crazy story. But that night, under the full moon, Kogan is shocked to see his name in the year 1994 appear on the ground before him. Can it really mean that he can't die for 50 years if he keeps wearing the talisman? In the weeks that follow, Kogan puts the talisman to the test, taking greater and greater risks in battle, 
While Kogan remains unharmed, his unit is taking staggering losses. Summoned to headquarters, the company commander chews him out. Morale is down to zero in Kogan's outfit because of his gung-ho record of taking unnecessary risks and the men he's wasted needlessly. Kogan's dream of glory seems to be slipping away. He decides instead to double down. When German armor attacks the U.S. position, Kogan grabs a machine gun and runs out alone to confront them under blistering fire. He knocks out one tank by jamming the muzzle into the fuselet and fires until ricocheting rounds inside kill the tank crew. Kogan knocks out a second tank by lobbing a grenade into the turret hatch before cradling the machine gun and mowing down waves of attacking enemy troops. All the while, he dreams of glory. Suddenly, American air support and artillery arrive on scene. Initially scrambling to find cover, he stops and remembers the talisman will protect him from death. He starts to laugh as explosions erupt all around him. The next thing Kogan knows is the realization of crazy lights in his mind's eye. He can't see, hear, smell, or talk. He is armless and legless, resting in a basket on the floor, surrounded by medical personnel. I can't figure out what's keeping him alive. Kogan realizes the truth. He's a blob, a vegetable, <coughs> old comics. <coughs> the talisman didn't keep him from harm, just death. He mentally begs the doctors to take the talisman off so he can die. He can't live the next 50 years like this, but they leave it on him so we can still have some measure of happiness. After all, he wore it everywhere. Too bad he'll never know about that promotion and the medal he earned for heroism. Killjoy. Lieutenant Kogan was sporting a soul patch throughout the story. Going to go out on a crazy limb here and say that manner of facial styling didn't exist for Americans in 1944. Comments, commendations. Remember Corporal Jerry Kisters from Weird War Tales number five? I'm immune. I'm immune. I'm not immune. I'm not immune. <laughs> Page 11, panel four, the shocking image of Kogan's trunk sitting on the floor in a huge wicker basket. It instantly took me back to the movie Johnny Got His Gun from 1971, which has to be where Arnold Drake got the idea from. I've seen the movie and own the book. Most of us remember the Metallica video one from 1989. Forced to pay royalties constantly for the video, Metallica actually bought the rights to the film. The movie came from an anti-war book by Dalton Trumbo that was, incredibly, published on September 3rd, 1939, just three days after World War II started in Europe. Here we go again. Joe Bonham, the main character from the book, was at least a victim of the war. The glory hound Kogan earned his fate. I actually like the entirety of page 11. The psychedelic imagery as Kogan wakes up is really eye-catching. And this is going to go off script a little bit here. I've, I've always enjoyed stories written in the past portraying some event in the distant future. And when you read it, that distant future is in our current past. Case in point, this takes place in 1944. 50 years later, gets you to 1994. This story is written in 1974. So 94 is still 20 years in the future. Now 94 is almost 30 years in our collective past. Feel old yet? So my, my favorite cultural um, example of this is from the 80s animated, animated Transformers movie that starts off with, the year is 2005. I'm like, ooh, not 2005. <laughs> 2001, A Space Odyssey, Back to the Future 2. Any of these works that we've caught up to, the future portrayed, we all kind of get a giggle out of them, don't we? <laughs> yeah, the year is 2005. An American Idol is still on the air. 
<laughs> no, this can't be. Ah! Yeah, man, retrofuturism is one of my favorite things too. I gotta say, like, I, I love it when we whiz past the year that they said we would all have personal jetpacks or whatever. You know, it, it's it, it's it's just always fun to me. And often their version version of the future is a hell of a lot cooler than what we actually got. You know, <laughs> so so that's cool. As for this story, easily best story in the issue for me for sure. For the first time ever, though, I was a bit disappointed by Tony D's work. The art on the first several pages was to me a bit cramped and stiff for Tony, with the camera often pulled in way too close. Pages 9 and 10 looked downright lazy, with little to no background detail or even very much attempt to make the empty backgrounds interesting to look at. The final pages pick it all up, you know, pick it all back up in a big way with some very well rendered and creative visuals that are much more in the expected Tony D style. As for the writing, I kind of knew where we were going, but the plotting and pacing kept things entertaining anyway. It brought to mind for me a favorite story uh, from an old horror comics anthology, probably a ghost of Dr. Graves, because I was constantly reading these Charlton horror comics back in the day, um, where a guy takes a charm to give him eternal life, but he declines to buy its twin. And that ends up being the one that would have granted him eternal youth. So he just keeps aging and aging until people find him in this abandoned mansion. And he's an impossibly withered corpse that still cannot die. So I hit that note for me here. The story was good all by itself. So we ended on a high note for this issue for sure for me. So uh, now with that story out of the way, we're going to move on to our spotlighted ads for the issue. I've got a really cool one here. It's uh, for the, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but the Menominee Falls Gazette from Menominee, Wisconsin. Apparently, this is a publication that collected newspaper adventure comic strips, usually one full week of a strip per page, and it ran from 1971 to 1978. And there's there's a cool Wikipedia entry on this. I've got a link here in the script, and we'll make sure it's available to you guys on our various outlets here, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. But to describe the ad itself, we have kind of a half-page picture that says, the world's greatest weekly all-star our lineup and then it has full figure pictures standing in a line like almost like model sheets for the characters of prince valiant the spirit you know will eisner's the spirit batman and robin and robin must be standing behind batman or something because he's not visible we've got superman tarzan buck rogers who is in i think one of my favorite versions of the buck rogers outfit it's the really old one with like the vest and the finned helmet and then one of my favorite characters ever the phantom then there's a big box with just a bunch of other character names, other characters and strips that they're collecting and putting out in this publication. And there's some really cool ones in here. You got James Bond, Jungle Jim. It's just one of my favorite names ever. That's a King Features character. Of course, Dick Tracy. There's a Steve Canyon, Mandrake. Tons of cool stuff here. This is another one of those publications. Like there was a similar one in a previous issue. And I'm such a sucker for these. And I wish... I had been able to get my hands on some, just these adventure strips collected, boom, in what I'm assuming is tabloid newspaper format and everything just right there for you. You don't have to wait a day or a week or whatever. So easily you put one of these in an issue and I'm going to gravitate towards it as a spotlight ad immediately. So that's my ad. What says the early seventies like evil Knievel? 
Ideal presents the exciting adventures of Evil Knievel, Daredevil Stunt Cyclist. Thrilling wheelies, indoors route, breathtaking somersaults in midair over the Evil Knievel Scramble Bike. Sensational leaps over your neighborhood ditch. Jumps over your set of encyclopedias, volume A through W. I guess, you know, X, Y, Z, or I guess you're screwed or something. <laughs> he doesn't make that jump. <laughs> Evil Cable Scramble Van, complete with ramp, trailer, living quarters, and workshop with scale tools. Spellbinding handstands from one room to another. Removable helmet. Removable swagger stick. Shock-absorbing front wheel. Available where ideal toys are sold. I went on a trip to the Rocky Mountains last year and ended up at Snake River Canyon near Shoshone Falls in Idaho. I was a bit amused that there were markers for the site of Knievel's failed attempt to jump the canyon in 1974, later the same year that this issue came out. I had some manner of Knievel stunt cycle toy as a kid, but I'm not sure if it was this one though. But yeah, Evil Knievel, I mean, how, how can you not? I mean, come on. Yeah, talk about, like you said, endemic of the 70s, man. Symbolic of the decade. You got Evil Knievel. And I did have this exact toy, the stunt cycle with the red uh, rev it up and let it go launching station there. I had that exact toy when I was a kid. I didn't have a lot of these other things like the, the van with the ramp or whatever the heck else is there. But I do remember putting him in the handstand pose that they show in a small drawing on the page here where he's like got his head on the seat and you let him rip. <laughs> So I do remember playing with this thing and it, it was actually really cool. It, it worked like a charm and you could launch it right into a wall. Trust me. <laughs> it was fine. But this, didn't, this, didn't this guy like break every bone in his body twice or something? <laughs> oh yeah. He's he a complete failure. Yeah. Like, like he almost never succeeded at what he was going to do, but people just loved him anyway. I mean, he had the outfit, he had the cool bike and uh, yeah, the ability to still function after shattering every bone in his body. <laughs> So, Knievel, a.k.a. Wolverine. <laughs> oh, it's just, just freaking fantastic. Yeah, like, and, you know, an, an awesome toy, man. I love it. So a couple of great ads out of the way here. We're going to move on to our little section that we like to call Got Any Last Words? Two awesome stories and a great selection of ads, all of which opened the Wayback Machine for me. Last Rites for the Living was a narrow winner over the loosely based, in fact, Wings of Death. Two thumbs up. This was a blast. I like this one. And I was, well, I say in the script, far less impressed with this one, but, you know, really only just somewhat less impressed with this issue than you, because I really did dig the heck out of that, that second story. And I had fun reading a lot of the rest of the content in the issue. So, so, you know, the, I, I'm going to change my script on this one and say that this was a fun issue. Just, um, I wish the first story had tighter plotting, more dynamic presentation and somewhat more exciting art. I know that Evans does like really accurate aircraft, which gets huge points with you. But, you know, for me, this is comic book storytelling, man. Pep it up, change up your layouts, involve the reader visually. You know, like like you said in the previous episode, that story art wise was the equivalent of the sound effect that goes kaboom. <laughs> to me. Like, yeah, that's what it is, but it doesn't do much for me. Uh, so I'll just say my kingdom for an issue of the Menominee Falls Gazette. So all that out of the way, we are going to step on over to our dead letter office where we talk about social media feedback and stuff like that, emails and whatnot. And I remember to tell you guys that you really can. You, you can. I'm not kidding you. You can go to redbubble.com and type in Weird Warriors Podcast and get our awesome logo emblazoned on just about anything you can freaking imagine. And then... 
you know, you can have that and your life will be that much better. Redbubble.com. There you go. You can be the third customer after me and Rich <laughs> to buy some stuff at that website with our awesome logo on it. So anywho, <laughs> that out of the way, uh, the dead letter office this time around is pretty busy over on Twitter. We've got a like and share and all that kind of stuff from Mark Davis at GE Comics Group on Twitter. Now, Mark is a longtime Facebook friend of mine. He is the writer and publisher of Golden Era Comics, hence the GE Comics Group on Twitter. And I love the guy's writing. He, he's in the trenches doing super indie comic book work. Everything he's worked on is cool and it's fun. So go check him out. Tell him we sent you. And buy his books. All right. So <laughs> Mark Davis shows up. We got Professor Frenzy. We have good old Kirk Spencer, who right now you can change your Twitter name all the time. Kirk Spencer is calling himself the demented old circus monkey. Just got to mention that. I know it's temporary, but it's perfect. We have Bill at Spy Vinyl on Twitter. We got our good buddy, Billy Delicious, Doc Strange, who I am going to be talking about the witching hour with pretty soon. We have Chris Lydon. We got Herman at the Long Box of Darkness. We have G Burr. So G like George, B-U-R-R on Twitter. Uh, Into the Weird, which is another one of Herman's accounts. FP Glasgow stops by. Uh, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, uh, I believe from the Professor Frenzy Show. We have Dr. Bob's Kitchen at Dr. underscore B-O-B-B on Twitter. That's one of our buddies from the Checkered Pass podcast. We have Stop, Let's Team Up. A comic podcast, which is super fun. Uh, we have our buddy Dan Brown at Packed Cells on Twitter. And uh, we have uh, Dave's Comic Heroes blog. We have the Checkered Pass podcast itself at Go Go Check Pod on Twitter. We have the Doom Patrol Haiku account. Our good friend Luke Giaconetti of the Earth Destruction Directive Giant Monster Movie Podcast. Dr. Pop Culture BGSU stops by. And the subtitle on his Twitter is Holy Academia. So... You know, love that. We have Clinton Robison from Coffee and Comics. We have Shadow, which is at Andre Harbor, H-A-R-B-R on Twitter. New one for me. Very cool. So we've got (laughs) someone we'll be hearing from in a bit. Martin Gray, at Mark Gray on Twitter. He of the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. Again, if you want to keep up with current DC comics, there's no other site you got to go to. Martin reads a ton of that stuff and gives honest reviews of it, uh, even if... You're not reading those books anymore. You just want to keep up with what's going on. Too Dangerous for a Girl, Martin Gray. I still read it all the time, every time he posts something new. We have Dr. Ange, and uh, he comes by to actually say something. He says, the transplanted limbs with minds of their own is well-trod story fodder from mad love to the hands of Orlock to the movie Body Parts. Cool to see it here. And we respond and say, oh, You'll see it here again. Weird War Tales likes to go back to its wells a bit. (laughs) uh, Dr. Bob from the Checkered Pass podcast stops by to say, you fellas have almost, almost convinced me to voluntarily read war comics. And we just respond with, join us. (laughs) Do it. Yes. Come on, guys. (laughs) Don't stop with GI Combat 119. I know. Harley Haunted Tank. Yeah, they they had to they had to read that with us. So they, you know, it's probably made them gun shy. But come on, guys. It's it's safe. We won't be there every time you read a war comic. All right. So over on the swampy waters of Facebook, we get some love from uh, good friends Kurt Matilla. Peter Watson of the Earth 2 podcast, our good friend Lee Sullivan, who has actually made an appearance in APO Weird War Tales 
over here in the podcast and in the publication. Our new friend, Bill Mooney, Herschel Mimis, my, my longtime internet buddy, Ken Boutillier. And we got, a, we got a comment here, a very helpful one that led me to something really cool from, from Tim DeForest on Facebook. He says, the strange sports stories issue you saw in the ad for this issue of WWT was a fun one. Here's a review. And Tim links to his own blog, which is old time comics and radio. And again, we will we'll put a link to this up there. I shared it on Twitter the other day on both my accounts. This blog is fantastic. Not only was the review of that issue really eye-opening and and just it was a treat to actually get to see the insides of that book and hear what someone thought about it because the ad fascinated me so much, but his blog covers as it says, old-time radio, pulp magazines from back in the day, which I'm reading a history book about right now, and he'll actually have snippets from the radio shows, and just, it's an incredibly cool blog. It's it's right on my following list, so thanks, Tim, for stopping by and leading me to another bottomless pit to explore and, and have a good time with. Now, Lee Sullivan stops by and says, wait, wait, is this the issue with my mean letter? And then he says, just checked. I'm in number 20. Looking forward to reliving that. And, you know, we got you covered there, bud. It's coming. It's (laughs) coming. Beyond that, I usually just comment on the episode, likes and shares and stuff. But Rich had done a post over at the Weird Warriors podcast Facebook page, which he is the boss of, the commanding officer of the FB page. And he said, I've mentioned the Find a Grave website a few times. So here are the links to three comic greats I've visited in person. Great underused tool for historians, genealogists, and fans to pay their respects. And he provides the links and a little picture and all that. And uh, Matt Caruso stopped by to say he was lucky enough to have met all three of them, to which Rich responded, ditto, of course. We've all heard that story. <laughs> and, uh, Matt says, if you ever want me as a guest, I can talk a little, not a lot, about what Infantino told me about Bill Drought and the Filipino guys. Hey, someone else wants to come on the show and talk a whole bunch so I can do even less? I'm open. <laughs> So uh, Matt goes on to say, I didn't donate Weird War to the Filipino Comics, uh, K-O-M-I-K-S, spelled phonetically Museum. Just, uh, I don't get that word in front of Sergeant Rock. Do you think that's just yeah, That's one of the artists, Vicatan. Vicatan, Sergeant Rock. Okay. But I was in the program. Jerry Alanguilan was a historian and a friend. He died too young, but inked Captain America and Star Wars in his last decade. And then he's got this awesome picture that he had commissioned uh, too. So that that's a heck of a comment thread to check out, especially because it ends with a big, awesome punch of cool art. So moving over to Gmail, we actually got a couple of emails on ye old Gmail account, weirdwarriorspodcast at gmail.com. So Billy D writes in, talk about episode 20. And he says, hey guys, awesome episode. I really wish DC would put this title on the app so I could read along. Sounds like some really good material. Now, again, Billy is listening to every episode of this show and can't read any of the issues. I, I, I feel somehow responsible <laughs> for, for him putting himself through this. But um, he goes on to say, Dezuniga, Perlin, Chan, etc. are all artists I love in the war and horror genre. I have a Weird War Tales trade but it's the Creature Commandos era, which is way down the road. Keep up the good work, and thanks for putting out the free entertainment. So that's our buddy Billy D. And yeah, I have seen that Creature Commandos trade, and I'm still tempted because it would be cool to have all that stuff in just a handy trade to 
to pull out rather than yeah, pull that one is way yeah yeah but it's <laughs> it's still very tempting to me because that's like oh portable creature commandos that you don't have to worry about you know dropping that's cool <laughs> so now i said we'd be getting back to martin gray and we are he is uh writing in a little belated gmail message about episode 19 he says dear combat happy joes Gosh, you're really getting these shows out fast and furiously. I have some late comments on episode 19. And here he comes, folks. He says, Weird War Tales number 16 was the worst issue yet. I say thee nay. This is the all-round best. A fantastic cover from Luis Dominguez. The superb more dead than alive. That our climactic pick of the doctor waking up with her new body is the creepiest, creepiest issue of the run to date. A fun future shocker in The Conquerors. So the vampires had sunblock. Go with it, he says. With lovely Alex Nino art, more marvelous Nino visuals and evil eye, I'm fine with the Romani kid being a witch. Some kids are naughty. I honestly think this is a great issue. I can't wait to hear what the parenthetical statement by Martin and not me. (laughs) He says, I can't wait to hear what the often vile and stupid contemporary readers thought. (laughs) On a similar note, uh, I realized that this is a read-through show, but I... It'd actually be rather useful if you read the letters for each issue after giving us your thoughts rather than some months down the line when we've likely forgotten. He says, okay, off to finish listening to the latest show, Stay Weird. Now, you know, his opinion of the issue aside, you know, it's all subjective. I I just want to comment on that last paragraph has that last suggestion. I know the Earth 2 podcast does that, where they'll go over an issue and then they'll look ahead and read the letters written about that issue, but I don't want to do that. I want I want to do this like like what I'm what I think we're trying to do here is recreate the experience of reading these issues as they came out. So you're reading letters for an issue that came out a couple of months ago or whatever. And I, I want to hit it that way. I like what the Earth 2 podcast guys do. And I'm not just saying it sounds like too much work. But <laughs> and also, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's my first thought, of course. I'm going to that first because I'm me. But um, but I, I really like the recreating the experience of, of reading the letters in the issue that we're that we're talking about that's on the table in front of us, so to speak, and all that. So, I mean, write in and tell me if you disagree, people, but um, I'm probably not going to change my mind. So. <laughs> And, and, and just to agree with, yeah. with, with Mark, more dead than alive was superb. It was far and away the best story in the book. But we have to agree to disagree. The rest of it sucked. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that's what comics are all about. That's, you know, everyone coming together. And like I said, a, a lot of these artists I, we've all been mentioning along the way that I love. All my friends hated these people. Like they hated that they didn't know these people, but they hated their art. Like, you know, I could get Tony D, I could get Alcala, I could get Nino off my friends so easily. Give them one Frank Miller or John Byrne or something, and I could get like five of those other artists off of them. So I'm used to being in the minority, folks. It doesn't bother me one bit. (laughs) You know, I've been in the minority on what's good uh, for most of my life. So, all right. With that out of the way, uh, as usual, we're going to let Rich hit you with the teaser for the next episode. War Tales number 23. You know why. Or maybe you don't. A bird of death. Beans, the ultimate weapon. A letters page so filled with vampiric killjoy, Max won't know which one to choose. It's just another day in the trenches of the Weird Warriors podcast. Oh, man, I'm excited. I mean, we're talking about beans here. 
so many fart jokes. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I've, I come prepared. That is, that is the level I am stalled at for all eternity. So it's good timing. <laughs> so that's it for the episode, folks. We have reached the end of another one. So until next time, when we're all, you know, stocked up on beans and whatnot, I've been Max. He's been Rich. This has been the Weird Warriors podcast. We are the Weird Warriors, and we promise to make war. No more.